2: Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, U.S. Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan. And John, being a Pulitzer Prize finalist is one thing, but your greatest achievement came this week when you took the initiative to drop a note in the company Slack asking if there's a company-wide March Madness pool, and the boss said, no, there isn't, but there should be. And he decided our parent company, Better Collective, would host a thousand dollar free roll. Uh, Well done, John. Uh, I must say there are benefits to working for a company in the sports betting space. Uh, But I have to know, John, were you honestly looking to pay 10 bucks or 20 bucks or whatever to enter an office pool? Or were you using Jedi mind tricks here thinking if you innocently threw the idea out there, the company would likely put up cash?
1: Yeah, I wish I was that smart. Uh, (laughs) And really, you know, five bucks was always my limit over the years in these pools, but uh, I guess adjusting for inflation, 10, I... Mm, yeah, I think I might have gone for that 20 A little rich for my blood, I think. But uh, I'll tell you, it's funny that you mentioned your twinning March Madness and Pulitzer's, though, because uh, I never told anybody the story. But since you stumbled into it, I will. Um, OK, so it's one early April day in 2008 and four of us in the newsroom are informed a few minutes beforehand that, by the way, that 18 month investigative work you did, uh, that's going to be announced in a couple of minutes as a finalist or uh, a Pulitzer for local reporting. Now, Eric, I know your brother works in Hollywood, and there are five nominees per category. Well, the Pulitzer folks only do three, so a hmm. winner and two runners-up, not four. So I guess it's a big deal. But the other three guys are in kind of a frenzy. Well, I want the old Barry Sanders model of, you know, if you score a touchdown, you hand the ball to the referee and act like you've been there before, and all <laughs> right. that, even if you haven't. So when uh, the news goes out, I go back to my my desk at work, and my colleagues are a little confused, particularly because unlike almost all the winning and finalist announcements over the years, ours had three specific names, including mine, not you know the staff of the New York Times or whatever. So um, that kind of threw them off. Well, anyway, I got home that night to watch the March Madness championship game and large Park, is I was one of about only two out of about 80 or so entrants in the office pool. who still had a chance to win. Hmm. And the other guy was a legendary New York Giants writer for us. So even crusty coach Bill Parcells called Sage for his wisdom on the beat. Um, now this is an eerie foreshadowing. In retrospect, uh, I told Vinny, "Look, I'd never risk 240 bucks, which was the first prize on one sporting event, and I doubt you would either. So I sent him some options. You know, we can just collect 120 each, and no need to even watch the game. Uh, we can go 160 versus 80, 180 versus 60, right. 200 versus 40, that sort of thing. So he takes the latter offer, meaning I'm guaranteed eight times my original investment, no matter what happens. So that's that's not bad. And I got. Uh, some skin in the game for sure. Well, this happens to be the Memphis-Kansas final. And Memphis was coached by John Calipari, whose entire ill-fated Nets career in New Jersey I had covered. So I knew him quite well, and I figured maybe that was a good omen. So Memphis I think grabbed a nine-point lead or so, maybe ten, with about two minutes left. And I think I've got my 200 bucks extra, too. And Memphis misses four or five free throws. Kansas is a three-pointer to force overtime. They win an OT. And I asked Vinny the next day, you know, how close did you come to turning off the TV? And He goes one more possession. I was like, (laughs) I figured that's what I was thinking. I just need one more possession. He knew it well. So then I I soon found out that one of, one of the bosses, uh, I think the statute of limitations has expired on this. So I can tell this part. Uh, He asked around whether we had come really close to winning that Pulitzer or just kind of a runner up distant second or, and he's told you were as close as you can possibly come without winning, which was funny because that sounds a lot like the Memphis, Kansas game that same day. (laughs) So people have told me how disappointed they would be, you know, in my shoes and, uh, for me, I said, listen, there's three prizes for each, right? If you want to weep for somebody, think about the poor bastards who came in fourth for the Pulitzer and got nothing to show for their great efforts, and fourth in the pool uh, <laughs> for the same sort of effort, not exactly the same. You know, the poet Robert Browning once wrote Ah, but a man's reach should exceed his grasp, or what's a heaven for? Uh, you know, It makes me think of getting a 190-yard hole-in-one back in 1995. It, it took me years to realize it, but right after that, I started playing less and less golf. I mean, there are a variety of reasons for that, but I think in part in my subconscious, my work was done there, which is kind of a shame. Uh, so maybe it's better to come oh-so-close instead, and then you keep striving. So I guess that's a long-winded way of saying, I guess I hope I don't win that top prize in our office pool.
2: <laughs> I've never well- won one. Right. OK. Yeah. Uh, well, I thought I thought you were at a reasonable uh, level of humble brag throughout all of that until you until you uh, needlessly worked in. I hit a hole in one in golf once. Uh, that was yeah. that was when you, you, you went over the limit, unacceptable number of humble brags in a single story. Mm. But
1: <laughs> yeah, I guess it, it's relevant, but I, I see your point.
2: Uh, well, uh, I've uh, I've I've won one uh, March Madness pool in my life, and it was so long ago, I barely remember it. But uh, that year. As with this year, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. Uh, I've watched zero college basketball games this year. uh, So that means I'm going to win this pool. Um, uh, Apologies in advance to all the other entrants in the company pool. But I made all of my picks in about three minutes. I put almost no thought into it. So the top prize is mine. There's there's almost no need to play it out at this point.
1: I pretty much did the same. So we might be. uh, (laughs) Okay, we we,
2: could be neck and neck. Uh, I will say, though, this is now your responsibility within the company, John, to, to do this every so often, like next year. Hey, hey, do we have a Super Bowl company box pool going? Put that in the Slack. See if we get a free roll on that. I'm counting on you to keep asking the question so the company keeps handing out money, especially since, as I said, I am guaranteed to take first place in this thing. Well,
1: the baseball season's almost starting, so I think some kind of a futures uh, pool, you know, we could do, uh, you know, you pick uh, over-unders on, you know, everybody picks five, something like mm-hmm. that. Something, you know,
2: kind of keep it sporting. All right, well, We'll, we'll, we'll workshop it. We don't want to overdo it. If you ask too <laughs> yeah, okay. often, they all might right. catch on to you. But you know, I once in a while, it. I think we I can get these free rolls going. Uh, thank you to everyone for joining us for episode number 134 of Gamble On. If you missed any of our previous 133 episodes, they're all available on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Please subscribe, rate, and review. It's the least you could do for this weekly audio entertainment free roll that we provide.
1: Yeah, and coming up a little later on the show, we're going to be joined by our U.S. bets colleague, Chris Altruda. He's live on the scene in Indianapolis covering March Madness for us, and he'll let us know whether he likes Gonzaga, that's the correct pronunciation, <laughs> Baylor, also the same, uh, or a sleeper, how much impact he expects COVID to have, and what the atmosphere is going to be like on the streets and at the sports books in Indiana, does he think? But first, it's been a, a reasonably busy week in the world of gambling, so let's get to it.
3: Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling.
2: As John just said, Chris will be joining us shortly to talk March Madness, but we'll kick off the news segment with a little March Madness betting talk of our own. Twice a year, the American Gaming Association releases data projecting the legal and illegal betting action on an event, One is the Super Bowl. The other is March Madness. According to the AGA's surveys and research, 47 million Americans plan to wager money on the tournament, which is about the same number as two years ago. But the how has changed. Office pool participation is expected to be down about 8 percent from 2019 on account of many offices being closed and worker interaction being greatly diminished. But the number of Americans expecting to place a bet on the tournament is way up from 17.8 million two years ago to 30.6 million now. And the number planning to place such a bet online is up a whopping 206% over two years ago. John, any surprise that some people aren't finding virtual ways to join a pool this year? I mean, honestly, I can't remember the last time I filled out a pool on paper by hand anyway. uh, and, And what are your thoughts on the ways in which wagering on March Madness is changing and how the gap in social acceptability is closing between bracket pool participation and Vegas style sports betting?
1: Uh you know, I, I was still filling out a paper ballot uh, for this maybe five or six years ago, and it was a lot of work for the pool handler, but it seemed like it was kind of fun for him, I think. i uh, mm-hmm. also an older fellow. Um, right. you know, I mentioned in passing in our my 10th annual filling out a competent March Madness bracket without having watched college basketball filing that posted on Wednesday on SportsHandle.com. Uh, you know, one of the fun parts used to be seeing the standings sent around the office and, you know, you mosey over to the desk of a surprise contender after two rounds and sort of congratulate them, or even better, you go to the desk of the college hoops. Know it all, whose bracket is bleeding from every orifice. That's a that's a great uh, <laughs> great time, and right. you can't do that virtually. Um, the guy's probably not going to accept the Zoom invitation if you want if you want to do it that way. You, know, you can just ambush him when he's sitting right at his desk, but uh, you know the Zoom he's got to sign off on that, so you lose a little bit of that. So um, you know it's like the difference between winning five grand at a casino table game and having random people celebrate with you and doing it online in your pajamas. So I mean, I would think some casual potential entrants were sure to drop off. So that doesn't. Surprise me. Uh, I think as far as legal gambling awareness, you know, the bulk of Americans don't quite get it and don't quite care. Uh, Bracket contests is a one-time minor hit to their bankroll. And if they don't know how to fill out a sensible bracket, they're Probably not going to win. I mean, one of them, as you say, tends to win, but the rest of them don't even contend, and they don't care. So you know, awareness is way up, relatively speaking. But um, you know, we have to remember in this industry that uh, you know, if you take uh, five or ten random people at the local mall, if it ever reopens or or they reopen, I don't even know, <laughs> um, that you know, a lot of them are going to say, "Yeah, I've never gambled in my life." So it's not it's not for everybody anyway. And even uh, making it legal in so many states, yes, it's going to increase the participation, but it's not like everybody going to be doing it.
2: Yeah. Uh, so as far as uh, that drop-off in people entering the office pools, I, th- I think you're absolutely right that the, the social element being out of it is accounts for a lot of that. I mean, if you actually want to enter a March Madness pool if you're willing to put in three seconds of effort to find one, they're, they're more readily available than ever, regardless of, of yeah. whether you're in an office. So yeah, that 8% basically represents the people who never cared about entering the office pool, but the papers came around and they said, you know, what the hell, it's five bucks and, and filled one out. That So that's that's what the survey tells me, that about 8% of the people who always participated in the office pool <laughs> were doing so purely to be sociable and to participate, but, but didn't actually care at all. Um, yeah. But yeah, honestly, I wasn't going to enter any pools this year until you got us that free roll. Um, But I was always expecting to bet despite knowing next to nothing about the teams. Uh, I currently have seven bets on the tournament. I'm sure that number will go up significantly as it goes along. Uh, They're all just based on hearing something on a podcast or reading something and thinking, "Uh, that sounds like a good bet. Uh, So I make it and give myself a reason to watch a few of the games, or at least the last two minutes of a few of the games. Um, But I will say, uh, in terms of that social acceptability, it actually seems to me, based on the limited real social interaction that I've had over the past year, that anybody who uses the legal betting sites isn't shy about mentioning the bets they have. I have people bringing it up to me all the time now. It's So I, I think it's almost as unstigmatized right now as fantasy football, at least you know in the states where it's legal and has been for a little while. Um, and, and I think that's part of why states that launch sports betting now come out swinging with, with big numbers right from the jump instead of having to ramp up slowly the first few months, the way New Jersey did a couple of years ago. Um, when betting comes to a new state, people are ready for it and not feeling like there's anything wrong with opening an account and getting started. And certainly March Madness is a time of year where it's particularly acceptable to be open about that stuff.
1: Yeah. I'll just add that. I think that people talking about their fantasy football teams, I think that behavior should be stigmatized.
2: (laughs) That's fair. I I agree with that.
1: (laughs) I think particularly because, uh, you know, I am an online fantasy baseball player, although I don't tell many people about it, but you know, that's chess compared with an auction. No, that's chess compared to checkers that so many fantasy football players have played. And they've got the ESPN.com thing up. They got auto pick going. And then they're saying, Oh, I've got this guy at running back. Like you didn't even pick the damn guy, much less bid on him. God forbid you, you know, you, you go up the ladder and, and have to make a split second decision on whether to go big on that guy and then spend a lot of your bankroll and then hold back. And, uh, you know, it's so much more complicated. So if I'm not going to talk about my fantasy baseball team, this being one exception here, um, I sure as hell don't want to hear about your fantasy football team.
2: Because Look you're looking down your nose at the common fantasy football player. <laughs> you're such <laughs> a you're M. such a fantasy season long elitist, John. Yeah, I'm really
1: uh, on a roll here,
2: aren't I? All right, let's move on to our second story. Uh, Revenue reports for February are out in several states, including three particularly notable ones, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Michigan, all of which were released on Tuesday. One thing is clear. A short month with only one football game isn't going to set any sports betting records. In New Jersey, although this would have been a single month record about six months ago, betting handle dropped from $958.7 million in January to only $743 million in February, resulting in a modest $46.2 million in revenue. The house won about twice as much from online casino as from sports betting, with about $91.3 million in revenue from mobile slots and table games, plus about another two and a half million in online poker rake. In Pennsylvania, sports betting handle took a similar decline, falling 17.2% from January to $509.5 million, with revenue of just $16.4 million. Thanks to thriving iCasino gaming, though, overall gaming revenue in the state was almost identical to February 2020, despite the COVID limitations on brick-and-mortar casinos. In Michigan, unlike in New Jersey and Pennsylvania, sports betting handle was way up in February, but that's because this was the first full month of online wagering. Total handle in Michigan was $301.9 million, with FanDuel, BetMGM, and DraftKings all fairly tightly bunched at the top. However, after promotional money was taken into account, only BetMGM and William Hill showed a profit for the month. Meanwhile, online casino is thriving in Michigan with $79 million in revenue for the month, slightly higher already than Pennsylvania. John, thoughts on any of these numbers? And do you have an early prediction on whether New Jersey is crossing the billion dollar mark in March? Uh, Well, yeah,
1: the the Michigan beating Pennsylvania and noting the the profitability or lack thereof uh, for for those sites, uh, I think in general that talks to a massive, massive marketing uh, Mm -hmm. pitch in Michigan that for whatever reason hasn't taken Place quite as much in Pennsylvania, even though it has good competition there too. And I am sending Jersey over one billion in, in March, Eric. Uh, you know, without football, it's no lock. But March Madness betting will be insane. NBA and even the NHL are ramping up their regular seasons, and MLB futures bets ought to do quite well in the last week or two of March. I think. You know, I was bearish on the February numbers, and I hit that forecast, so yep. I feel a little feisty on this one. <laughs> and uh, you know, in general, there's a lot of gaming industry chatter on whether those massive amounts of easy win marketing efforts are such a good idea that we're seeing in new jersey pennsylvania michigan and elsewhere but i think it's like dog eat dog to eat filet mignon so i get it there's big money to be had now, if Michigan State can only come within 110 points of UCLA in that play-in game, <laughs> uh, I win almost 50 bucks. And uh, the free 130 bucks I got for signing up with another site this week uh, goes up by 40 more if St. Bonaventure wins the first-round game. So it's quite the buyer's market for cheap bastards like ourselves, Eric.
2: <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, yeah, I'm right with you on the billion-dollar question. I'd be pretty shocked, actually, if New Jersey doesn't cross a billion dollars in March. And and I'm on record saying that I think nationally, where the record is 4. 3 billion dollars in handle in January. I think 5 billion is in reach for March. I'd set the line at 4.8 billion. Uh, so obviously, we don't need to overshoot that by much to hit 5 billion. I think it's possible. Um, you're you're absolutely right about the that online casino number in Michigan. Uh, it's uh, the the marketing, and uh, you know it, it might seem surprising at first glance that Michigan would be ahead of Pennsylvania already. But again, there, there's no real ramp up period anymore. The the states everyone knows online gaming is coming it's built for many months before it finally launches so they're just they're able to dive right in um but yeah, the, these promotional payouts are, are probably the most interesting part of all this. Uh they're heaviest when a site is new. They tend to slow down after a month or two because the sports books are just so much of what they do is these welcome offers. So once you've signed up once, you've gotten the biggest bang for your buck, you know, whether it's the the $500 free bet or bet $500 get $500. Most of them have something in that realm. People sign up and take advantage, and clearly bettors are plus EV during the opening period. Uh, but so I think that's mostly a mo- a month one and two kind of phenomenon in Michigan. By March, most of the sports books should be profitable, and certainly by April, I think the operators will be showing a standard hold. Uh, you know, there are still odds boosts and promos here and there to win over customers, like the one you talked about with that hundred plus point spread. Those things still pop up, um, but nothing as big as. Bet $500, and if you lose, we'll just give your $500 right back to you.
1: Yeah, I'm a little jealous of the retired folks though, because they've got a lot of time in their hands. And as you say, these, some of these offers come up, you may not notice them, and you kind of got to keep your eye out for everything, and you read the fine print. Although for the most part, I haven't seen any, uh, you know, fine print disaster stories. They're, they're pretty straightforward, but you know, you have to make sure that the bonus is in the bet before you click it, and that sort of yep. thing. So you know, it takes a little little bit of care. But uh, again, if you're retired, you got all the time in the world,
2: or so I'm told. <laughs> yeah, I'm jealous of the retired people for other reasons. I just. I just want to get out of the rat race, but I'm not that close to it yet. I don't think so. Uh, all right. Uh, for our third story, New Jersey and Pennsylvania are, are, are part of uh, our third story this week as well, along with Nevada, uh, as we're going to discuss easing of casino restrictions. In Nevada, capacity limits went up on Monday from 35% to 50%. And the Las Vegas Review-Journal reported that there were shoulder-to-shoulder crowds on the Strip, although at least masks were apparently being worn and casino employees were enforcing that requirement. So Vegas might be looking and feeling like Vegas, for better or for worse, when March Madness tips off. In New Jersey, casinos will go up to 50% capacity on Friday in time for, well, not the first four, but the traditional 64-team bracket. And also the 10 p.m. curfew on food and drink will end as casinos will go back to 24 hour service in Pennsylvania. Governor Tom Wolf announced on Monday that starting April 4th, casinos in the state will be allowed to serve alcohol as normal instead of only to people sitting down and eating meals at the property's restaurants. Also, casino capacity will increase from 50 percent to 75 percent at that time. It's a fine line between opening up too soon and opening up appropriately as the vaccine distribution increases. John, do any of these states have you concerned with regard to their pace? Are any of them moving more quickly or more slowly than you might have expected? And is Pennsylvania making a mistake by not timing their loosening of restrictions to coincide with March Madness?
1: Uh, well, I'll start with the latter question, which actually kind of a hard one. Uh, my first inclination is that's a mistake, because why hamper the casino revenue streams and state tax revenue like that? But we've both taken a fairly cautious stance in general, I think, on all this stuff in the past Mm -hmm. year, which was not a bad idea, but More ambitious rollouts seem to have worked out mostly okay, especially in the last uh, several months. Um, Bottom line, let's remember, casinos are the most heavily regulated and scrutinized industries in many states, maybe to a fault. Uh, An outbreak at their casino, or even the perception of it is very, very bad for business. Uh, Many casinos in Atlantic City, Las Vegas, and no doubt all over the country have spent millions of dollars on making their ventilation systems COVID resistant, more so than almost anywhere else that someone might visit during the course of a week. So it's still a little scary, to me but you know here we go you know i i saw some middle-aged news anchors the other day looking at the beaches in south florida all the people there and literally saying they were terrified of what might happen you know in spite of the growing recognition that being outdoors goes a long long way to reducing infection rates uh, right. still smartest to also socially distance and wear a mask or two uh, but we've learned a couple of things in the last year and, and i don't know why people want to ignore it and let's be honest the average 22 year old I'm not saying they could take a bath in COVID-19 droplets and walk out without ever getting a sniffle, but right. I'm not saying they can't, um, or a lot of them can't. And that's the idea. Well, the risk is non-zero, even for them. You know, There's just one case in Wisconsin, I think the person was 25. Yeah, that's true. But young people take risks, a lot of risks, and a small number of them die. And it's always been the case. And uh, you know, I, it's like these, never, these people were never young. They never went to a frat party. They never did all kinds of stupid things that i'm not going to talk about you know and then the real concern is what about grandma or grandpa right okay they're going to be fine they can pass it on to somebody who's very vulnerable that's a serious issue well at this point the odds that grandma or grandpa have been vaccinated it's pretty decent and that's Gonna go a long way to keeping them safe. So it's happening, and uh, you know, let's hope for the best. Uh, meanwhile, I, I should note that uh, even though I'm months away from my 60th birthday, I technically qualify for a vaccine because my BMI is over 25, uh, body mass index. Hmm.
0: You now, the CDC
1: has included that a six-foot male should weigh between, <laughs> wait for it, 136 and 184 pounds. Otherwise, you're overweight. Hmm. Now. I grew a foot and an inch in high school and at about 20 years old, I was six foot and 145 pounds. And I look to be honest, to be an inspiring figure for having battled through what appears to have been a very serious recent illness and, uh, and still you know, <laughs> hanging in there, you know, narrator, John weighs more than 184 pounds, um, not a ton more, but I don't have to make weight like a high school wrestler to qualify either, but I've never had a flu shot. I've never had the flu. I've never missed a day of work in my life due to illness so far, knock on wood. So I'll wait my turn.
2: All right. Well, hopefully your turn is is coming soon, because uh, this is this is one, quote unquote, flu shot that uh, you, you want. You want to go ahead and get. Oh, I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll take it. I'm, I'm yep. online for it. And my, right, my right. twin
1: actually just got approved this morning. So um, All right.
2: yeah. uh, if, we're, if we're
1: identical, I think that would like cover me also. The, the, right. Like does
2: him does him getting it, getting the shot? Uh, is there some osmosis that you're vaccinated as well just by him getting it. the shot? I think
1: that's just identical twins. I don't think fraternal twins qualify there, but it doesn't hurt. That's for sure. (laughs) Right.
2: All right. Um, Yeah. You know, the the whole Vegas thing, there will be some spread of the virus this week in Vegas. It is unavoidable under these circumstances. But you keyed on it that hopefully it's young, healthy people spreading it. And then they're all going to avoid visiting unvaccinated grandparents for a couple of weeks after they get home, although I'm not convinced all of those people are quite that responsible and, and taking the, the virus seriously. So, you know, Vegas is problematic to some degree, but it sounds like guidelines are being followed better than in the late spring when Vegas became like a real hub for infection and certainly The vaccines help minimize the risk everywhere. Uh, You know, New New Jersey, uh, the the degree to which they're opening up, that sounds fine. Murphy has been, if anything, overly conservative at times with opening up. Um, New Jersey and Pennsylvania are both making decent progress on vaccination, which I think is key here. You know, there are some states where like, five percent of adults have been vaccinated so far you haven't really reduced the danger of gathering but in states where you're getting to 20 25 percent have had at least one shot it starts to make a difference um that said that the 75 percent capacity in pennsylvania a couple of weeks from now that sounds like kind of a lot that that's a crowded casino on a saturday night so that's maybe the only thing that i'd object to here i'd prefer they stay at 50 percent and you know, one more month down the road, uh, you get to early May, by then almost every adult in Pennsylvania who needs the vaccine will have gotten the vaccine, then maybe you go to 75%. Um, So but again, you you said we've both been pretty conservative about all of this, maybe I'm being a little overly conservative there. Uh, I will say at least, I'm glad there aren't any casinos in Texas, that would be a particular shit show casinos (laughs) in a state where the mask mandates are being thrown out.
1: Yeah, well, you know, we have to give people some some level of credit, too. I mean, a number of the people that are going to show up are ones that have been vaccinated. Right. Um, others that, uh, you know, found out they had it and they probably can't get it again, not 100 percent, but likely. And also, I think we sometimes at this point, we're being a little condescending to grandma and grandpa, but because not only that, um uh, yeah, the grandkids shouldn't necessarily visit them after a, a bender in Vegas. But, you know, grandma and grandpa, they can they can lock the door, close the drapes. And, uh, you know, uh, the grandson's knocking on the door and uh, they pretend they're not home. I mean, they don't they don't have to let somebody <laughs> in. You know, They 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 have a power of agency in most cases. Obviously, there are exceptions for some very, very elderly people. But, you know, so so they know what the drill is. Hopefully the grandsons and granddaughters also know. So I think if they go, they're probably fine. And I think that, you Either the young people or the old people are going to be sensible enough not to start mingling uh, three days later. So that's why I think it's going to be all right in the end.
2: Yeah, i i hear you but as a parent uh with with kids and the, and thus with uh parents and and therefore grandparents in the picture uh, i'll just say uh, it's hard to overstate the lore for a grandparent of hugging their grandkids uh that this this has been a tough year for for them and uh trying to find ways around it and actually i'll just note that uh my mom and both of my in-laws uh have gotten both of their shots at this point so uh so we are entering ca- the category where uh where we hugs are pretty safe. So that's good. But, uh, you know, I, I would just say, uh, I, I don't necessarily think it's easy for grandparents to <laughs> shut the drapes and not open the door when the grandkids come around.
1: Well, you're, but you're thinking of a younger kid. I'm thinking of a 25 right. year old with a, you know, he's got uh, long hair, incredible level of stubble from a lost <laughs> weekend. He's, uh, you know, he's mumbling to himself and, uh, his clothes are disheveled. I mean, that's not, uh, I don't think grandma's is desperate to give that kid a hug <laughs> you that might
2: moment. you might be right that's it's true that my 11 year old son is not partying in vegas this week <laughs> just wait though
3: <laughs> it's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling let's get to the gamble on interview
2: There was plenty of madness in March of 2020, but none of the traditional capital M March Madness we look forward to. But this week, for the first time in more than 700 days, March Madness is here, and U.S. Bets has a man on the scene in Indiana covering the betting as well as attending actual tournament games, and he is our Chicago-based correspondent, Chris Altruda. Chris, thanks for joining us again on Gamble On.
3: Hey, happy to be on.
2: So the tournament is happening, uh, but it's not clear whether all 67 games will happen as the possibility of COVID cancellations is looming. I'm curious how you think that should impact the approach to betting. Are people more likely to play it safe and bet game by game instead of making futures bets? Uh, Would you personally shy away from a bet on one of the favorites to, to reach the final four or win it all just because of the additional uncertainty possibly opening the door for underdogs? What's your take on all that?
3: I think the two teams that are, that have the potential to be most affected are Kansas and Virginia. And I don't well I like Virginia a little bit. I also think that they're in a region with Gonzaga which is the 900 pound gorilla of the tournament. Mm-hmm. I don't think bettors are going to shy away from betting on Gonzaga as a future. I mean, you're not going to get great value for that pick because they are the number 1 overall seed, but I don't see bettors shying away from Anyone around that region. I mean, you may hold off more on Virginia than Kansas because I think Virginia's plan is to pretty much just fly in the morning of the game and play the game, which is borderline bonkers. And Kansas, you know, Kansas has an NCAA tournament history of flaming out without the help of COVID. So, you know, that's one of the (laughs) things you can just kind of like look at and say, yeah, you might want to save your money and bet somewhere else with them. But I don't think. I don't think it should matter matter to betters. I mean, I think if you're you're committed to that pick, you're going to make that pick.
2: Right. So other so other than the teams that are already having some COVID issues, you're saying for for everyone else, you would say yes, the faint possibility exists, but not it's faint enough that it wouldn't impact your approach to who you're picking to go deep in the tournament.
3: Right. Because I don't think it would affect more than one game in a sub region. I don't. I don't think a team is going to get two walkovers in the same sub region to advance to a regional semifinals. So no, I don't, I don't think it should affect that, that type of betting. Gotcha. All
1: right. You know, Chris, you live in big 10 country and obviously that conference supposedly is an absolute you know, behemoth this season. Um, but doesn't mostly that come from playing each other? I mean, Illinois lost by 13 to Baylor in December, I say, and they only beat Ohio university by two. I mean, the Bobcats are in the tournament, but still, uh, So, is there any chance that the big 10 is wildly overrated this season or, or are you sold on them?
3: I'm not overly sold on them. I think the committee had a thankless job this year because two of the power five conferences, because you look at the big East and the Pac-12, they didn't have that dominant team. Even like Villanova, you know, once Colin Gillespie went down, they they were still, in my opinion, somewhat overseeded as a five. And the Pac-12 had the same issues with Colorado. Like no one stood up the way the, the big 10 had mm. four really good teams this year. Ohio State was probably the biggest surprise of the bunch. But I think Illinois and Michigan were definitely justified in their one. I'm not completely sold on Iowa because they just don't play defense. And while they have the offensive talent to outscore you 100 to 90, at some point someone's going to stand up to them, and I don't know whether or not they can actually hold hold down the fort defensively. But I think that it's so top-heavy that it's going to be very hard to knock them off that perch. I don't think it's an overrated per se. I just think that second-tier – has to deliver first and second round wins to justify all nine of them being as highly touted as they are.
1: I, I guess I should follow up since it's been 30 years since Rutgers was in the tournament. Um, They're a 10 <laughs> seed playing. They're a 10 seed playing in the uh, uh, seven seed uh, against the seven seed Clemson and Rutgers is a slight favorite. So uh, um, I mean, think got crushed by Nebraska a couple of weeks ago. I, is there, are they just tough to figure? Is there something about them that might get them a, a little bit of a run here?
3: I think they actually got a, got a really good draw I think I think they're I mean they're an offensively flawed team but that's been the case since Pickle took over because he stressed defense first they you know Clemson's in somewhat of a mirror image I mean Clemson does not scare anyone with their athleticism and you know Houston is a very good defensive team but Rutgers you know Rutgers is comfortable playing a rock fight game like that I don't think they're going to beat Houston but at the same time you know if you're playing to 60 you have a chance because that's what you've been doing all season
2: All right. Well, uh, Rutgers, uh, certainly uh, if they were to go on a a run, it would be a Cinderella story. And, uh, you know, one of those one of the deepest of sleepers. So it's a nice transition into the next topic uh, because you've written a series of articles on U.S. bets, Chris, about sleeper picks to win it all. Uh, Now that we've seen the bracket and the title odds for every team. Who is your favorite sleeper bet? And and I know you were you were defining a sleeper as pretty much any team other than Gonzaga right. and, and Baylor. So outside those top two, which team do you think has the best value to go all the way?
3: I I think it's Florida State, and I in some respects they gained value by being put as a four seed. The odds came longer to them, I believe. There was it was plus four thousand in some places for them. Yeah,
2: that's what I'm looking and at right now. Yeah,
3: I. You know, it's it's a team that even before last year, last year, they were arguably a better team defensively. But it's a team that also got to the second weekend, each of the prior two NCA tournaments. It's a team that's long I mean, they're they, they have NBA size. And in a one and done setting, when you have to turn around and play someone on an off day on short rest. Yes, you have advanced scouting, but that's that's hard at the college level to play against. It's a big team. It's a long team. They, they play defense. And this year, Florida State specifically has a better offense. It has more sources on the perimeter. It's not its not an imbalanced team where they rely on one sharpshooter from the outside. They have three guys you have to respect, and the ball moves. And also, their freshman, whose name escapes me at the moment, does a little bit of everything. Hmm. He, he facilitates the offense. He plays good defense. He's the – he might be the person who winds up carrying that team to the final four. And if they get there, it's, you know, it's two more games at that point.
2: Okay. Yeah. I I had, I had them uh, penciled in as, as a possible, I was just looking at the bracket and they, they did seem like at least a a good shot for one, you know, picking a a non number one seed to go to the final four. They, they stood out as one of the good options there. I've also seen some of the books have a special bet on just either Gonzaga or Baylor to win it all. Versus the field. And I'm seeing the Gonzaga Baylor side at like just better than even money, like plus 110. Hmm. Does that appeal to you or are they not really better than 50 50 that one of those teams is going to win it?
3: I think they are. I think it is better than 50 50 because I think Gonzaga is that good. I mean, the the parallel I keep coming up with for Gonzaga is they're the offensive version of the 1990 UNLB team. Hmm. Yeah, that, that team just suffocated teams defensively. This team will suffocate you offensively. Because you're so desperate to keep up with them that they're just going to spin you faster. And you're not, and very few teams can keep up with them. I mean, I would did to a little bit of an extent. Virginia got absolutely smoked in December when they played them. Kansas, they, I mean, they toyed with Kansas for most of that game, too. So, so it's going to be very hard to knock off Gonzaga. I mean, it, it's almost going to take like that, that the Duke NLV game for 91, where they have to be at the top of their game. To gotcha. take
1: them down. Right. Yeah. OK. And, you know, Chris, if you see the, the headlines in the news this week, uh, tons of people are going to Las Vegas for March Madness as if, uh, you know, all is right with the world. They're in Miami for spring break. The, the beaches are full. and uh, But I've spent a lot of time in Indianapolis so where you're headed. And, uh, you know, as a former Daily, New York Daily News uh, sports columnist, Mark Kriegel, he wrote, I remember he wrote back in the 1990s. It tells you all you need to know about this city that the place with the most action on a Saturday night is a steak and shake. <laughs> so I was there one Memorial Day weekend, a Knicks Pacers Saturday afternoon, Monday afternoon. So Sunday, Sunday night is going to be hopping, right? They fold up the sidewalks around 9 p.m. So uh, <laughs> I, on the one hand, I'm wondering what you expect in terms of uh, the vibe of the city downtown on the evenings, um, but then also. Inside, I mean, the one thing they did have was, uh, you know, lively fans, obviously, for Pacers playoff games, But um, and they're pretty rapidly in love with college basketball, but they're not going to be there for the most part. So is this going to be, feel like, March Madness, March Blandness, something in between?
3: It, it, it's a very curious thing because, you know, but I'm going to the Cal Santa Barbara Creighton game on Saturday, and they started, you know, they when you get the ticket, they start telling you all the precautions you're going to take. You know, you have to wear the mask at all times. And then like the little things, like food is going to be pre-pre-made. They're going to be pre packaged You're not going to allow it to linger on the concourse. So, you know, and the, again, the NCA has a, you know, kudos to them to getting to this point. And you know, there's there's it's a no-win situation for them when it comes to the aesthetics. I mean, but with, like when you read it, it sort of looks like sounds like the fire festival, like of like you know bland cheese sandwiches <laughs> along those lines. So you don't exactly know how it's going to play out. But I also think with the first with this being the first time. You can wager in a state outside of Nevada for the NCAA tournament, you know, New Jersey granted the exception. I think the atmosphere is going to be different. I mean, we're, on Thursday, I'm going to head over to the Winter Circle, which is the OTB version of Indian, Indianapolis, to watch the first four there and see how it plays out. I think the casinos, the nearest casino is Hollywood Lawrenceburg, and that casino has done amazingly well in terms of sports betting handle. It, it generated eight figures, which I'm, I'm not exactly sure what if, there were, if it's back at 100% capacity. But even so, that's still an impressive number. I mean, Illinois as an entirety did not generate $10 billion in retail sports betting handle in January. So I think there's different things that go on, how it plays out. I mean, it really is a big mystery. And you know, even walking for, you know, with the games that are going to be at Hinkle and IUPUI and you know, walking back and forth from them, I also don't know what the spring break schedule is like. So those campuses could be, you know, deserted. Yeah. So it, it'll be interesting to see what happens. And you know, downtown will be downtown. i I'm, I'm sure there will be something to do. <laughs> even, even, even if it is Indianapolis, I'm sure downtown Indianapolis has something <laughs> <laughs> to offer. Uh.
2: Well, not not just Indianapolis, but in Indianapolis during COVID, uh, we'll we'll, we'll right. see just how just how temp down it is. But when you're <laughs> when when you're at the game, uh, is, are you planning to uh, attempt some in-game wagering where there's absolutely no chance of a delay in terms of you knowing what's going on in the game?
3: Oh, absolutely. That that's definitely <laughs> going to happen. I mean, if, if for no other reason, I, I, it's almost a professional requirement to do it just as a testing ground right. to see what it is, and also and also make sure there's no geofencing around any of these venues. So because that was one of the things, because we didn't know by choosing campus sites, we didn't know whether or not there was any sort of rules that the NCAA, I mean, the NCAA conceivably could have asked the Gaming Commission to put a geofence up, but no one said whether or not they did. No one confirmed they didn't. So it'll be something to possibly look out for and see if it happens at Mackey or Assembly Hall or Hinkle.
2: All right, great stuff. Well, we we appreciate you coming on the podcast to talk about all this with us, uh, Chris. Enjoy the tournament in Indianapolis and uh, fingers crossed uh, for your your in-game bets, your pre-game bets, (laughs) uh, and of course for for negative COVID tests for all
3: teams. Sounds good. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it as always. Two men.
0: men. $10,000.
3: Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll.
2: When we end a winning streak, we end it emphatically. After five straight positive weeks for the bankroll, we put up an over last week, whiffing on all of our bets. Uh, first, over sixteen and a half points on Shake Milton missed, as he only scored ten on a lousy shooting night. That cost us a hundred dollars. Then John's bet on Adam Scott for the top twenty was looking decent through Friday, but unraveled on Saturday. That cost us another hundred dollars. And I went 0 for 3 with my boxing bets, two of which were long shots, but one of which was a favorite, Cecilia Bracus, lost to Jessica McCaskill, we dropped $75 on that. Gachet versus Clark to end in a draw was a terrible call. Gachet stopped him in two rounds. Uh, And then my other draw pick was the heartbreaker. Chocolatito Gonzalez and Juan Francisco Estrada went all 12 rounds in the most entertaining sporting event I've watched in 2021. To anyone listening out there with even a casual interest in boxing, seek out this fight. Just remarkable skill and determination on display. But anyway, it was razor close and hard to score. All the elements were there for a draw. But Estrada took a split decision where if one judge had flipped one round from Estrada to Gonzalez, we would have gotten the draw at 18 to one. So a bit of a tough beat. We lost two hundred ninety five dollars on the week, putting us down nine hundred and six dollars. Plus, we have one thousand six hundred four dollars on hold in futures bets. So that leaves us with seven thousand four hundred ninety dollars available to bet with this week. And you're up first, John uh yeah
1: first i'll just say oof <laughs> but you know glasses half full i guess we're only down about seven bucks a week in a lifetime bankroll even after that bloodbath that doesn't sound as bad but uh, right now i'd like to bounce back with a golf pick but the honda classic in jupiter florida this week the field is just brutal the favorite daniel berger who's not quite a household name uh he had to withdraw with a rib and uh, back soreness and uh it's just it's just too brutal to bet so i'm gonna go back to michigan state who failed me a couple of weeks ago um i'm giving two points uh to ucla and i th- i think i learned a little bit from my mistake uh, previously against michigan where uh michigan state was just exhausted uh in their first game on that uh, the final four days and so michigan roll steamrolled them in the second half but then the second game, uh, Michigan State came back and actually beat them. And I think that's more the real Michigan State team. And look, Tom Izzo in the uh, in March Madness, is uh, he's got something figured out with his players. So they're not a great team, but they're only playing UCLA. I'm not, I'm not putting the Spartans in the Final Four or anything, but uh, 110 to win 100 on uh, Michigan State uh, minus two.
2: Okay, Um, so at the top of the show, I talked about how I know nothing about college basketball. So, of course, I'm making college basketball bets this week. Uh, First, every year, 12 seeds do well against five seeds. There's always at least one 12 over five upset. Often there are two. In 2019, the last time we had one of these tournaments, uh, there were three. Uh, And from what I can glean from listening to college basketball experts, each of this year's 12 seeds are legitimately live for one reason or another. So let's do a $50 Moneyline bet on each of the 12 seeds at the best prices I could find. So that's $50 on Oregon State over Tennessee at plus 350 on DraftKings, uh, $50 on Winthrop over depleted Villanova at plus 240 at BetMGM, $50 on streaking Georgetown over Colorado at plus 215 on DraftKings, and $50 on UCSB in the game Chris Altruda will be attending against Creighton. At plus 265 on FanDuel. If one of them wins, we're in the vicinity of break even with the total $200 we're risking. If two win, we score a solid profit. If three win, like in 2019, we win big. And if all four win, I'll hate myself for not parlaying them.
1: <laughs> yeah I, I like that I, I got an odds boost on uh any of the four win at uh, 12 seeds winning yeah
2: I, I saw that. that saw that and jumped on it myself and, and by the yeah, way i did good... i did i did look up what the parlay would pay just so we can have full regret if it does hit yeah. 144 to one is what we're is what we're not uh, taking a shot on here but i'm not going to do it there's all four 12 seeds can't win
1: i don't think so but um so now i'm gonna go out on a l- little bit of a limb of sorts for this next one not not my style usually but hundred on Gonzaga at plus two hundred and five, which is the best price I found. Um, I've always shorted undefeated teams out against to the tournament, and it was all set to do so here again. But you know, I got one of those silly promotions that nearly guaranteed me fifty bucks or so if Gonzaga would <laughs> merely win their conference tournament title game. Uh, recently, uh, they trailed by a dozen points in the second half, and I was like, "Uh oh!" I bought two tune this in, and I watched a stretch run, and I saw a team that. For once all year, facing a little adversity after having stomped so many, you know, supposedly uh, daunting rivals, and they just embraced the challenge, they methodically caught up, they were still nearly even with three or four minutes left, and then they showed up another gear to win easily, and they sold me Eric, they really
2: sold me. All right, so how much it so that's at plus 205 to win the tournament for how much
1: yeah. A hundred, uh, bucks. Okay.
2: Yeah. Um, all right. So Gonzaga, Nevada, yeah. same, uh, same vowel sounds. Yeah, exactly. I have to try to remember yes. there. Okay.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and, Gonzaga and, is just, it's just North of Oregon, by the way. Yeah.
2: Right now. Yeah. That one, I know Oregon. I learned that my first week in college, I met a guy from Oregon and I yeah. think I said Oregon and he corrected oh. me and I've never gotten it wrong <laughs> since. Um, but so, so are you tipping your hand as to who you've picked to win it all in your, uh, company pool bracket?
1: Oh, I'm not going to comment on that. You, uh, <laughs> okay, the, the picks aren't locked in yet. Who knows what? How many of our teammates are listening to?
2: Right. All right. All right. Fair enough. I'll I'll find out uh, in, in 24 hours or so. Um, for my second set of bets, I'm keying on Oral Roberts University, the 15 seed in the South Region. They face the 2 seed Ohio State. Oral Roberts is, as I learned on a podcast this week, a team that relies on the three-pointer, doesn't play much defense, just run and gun, and if the shot is falling, they put up a lot of points. They scored 81.8 points per game this year while allowing 75.8, and Ohio State's right there with them, scoring 77 and allowing 70.3. The points total line is appropriately high at 156.5, But it's always fun to bet the over, right? Uh, So let's do 110 on that to win 100. And if the shots are indeed falling for Oral Roberts, the upset is in play. They're as high as a plus 1,200 dog. So let's just go 20 bucks to win 240 on that semi-rare 15 over 2 result. And that will do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. And thanks again to our guest, Chris Altruda. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow US Bets at US underscore Bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. And with that, John, please take us out.
1: Well, you know, last week I explained how important uh, 1985 was to March Madness. First time the field expanded to 64 teams. Every conference tournament champion around the country got a bid. My Fairleigh Dickinson University Knights came within a whisker beating Michigan, for what would have been the most shocking upset at the time in tournament history. And how Michigan's struggle might have contributed to their second round loss to Villanova a couple days later, and then the Wildcats' eventual epic title game win over Georgetown. So, But there was another aspect of 1985 that we alluded to earlier, and that's that 64-team bracket. It's a thing of beauty really. Just look at it. Two sets of 16 teams, each on the left side, same on the right side, each round, the winners advance closer and closer to the center and final battleground. It's, it's a thing of beauty. Uh, but mankind has always been cursed with tinkering with perfection and this was no different. So in 2001, with the arrival of Mountain West conference on the scene, another automatic bid was awarded. So, Now sensible people would have done the obvious. Okay, so that means one less at-large bid to borderline choices from power conferences who sometimes couldn't even win half their conference games anyway. And we got our 64. Now the NCAA marches to its own drummer, and I really don't blame the guy who, in a stuffy office environment, proposed a dumbass idea that I guess we'll have to go to 65 teams and had a single playing game versus the two worst of conference champions. I mean, not at all. You blame the other people in the room who sat there silently, realizing this made no sense and yet doing nothing, and it got approved. But little harm was done given that for 10 years, two bad teams face each other, and the winner was whacked by a number one seed each year, like an extra in a Sopranos episode. But then we get to 2011. And now the decision is made to have two play in games featuring the four most borderline bubble boy teams. And once again, you know, all would cooperate by the winner losing rather handily in the main draw, right? So it's dumb but harmless, and, you know, what the heck. The other two games were designed really to uh, let the teams decide, you know, who the, who the last teams in should. Be? why why not let them decide it on the court I, I don't think that's a crazy idea uh, in principle and you know it messed a little bit with the bracket and the look of it but you know the hope was again that the these are 11th or 12th seeds they're just going to get bounced by the sixth seed right so you know you can pretty much ignore it when you fill out your bracket a couple days in advance. But in the first year, impudent Virginia Commonwealth refused to cooperate. They won the play-in game. They knocked off six seed at Georgetown, third seed Purdue, 10-seeded Florida State, top seed at Kansas, and they're in the final four. And this is a team that nobody even pretty much had listed in their bracket because they were right. just a, uh, you know, the bubble team. So that made that bracket a mess. Um, and not just because the 11 seed made the final four, but because of that playing aspect. So I thought maybe a reboot was in order. A 72 or 80 game bracket wasn't perfect either. But clearly a bubble team isn't guaranteed to be cannon fodder. They proved that. Then comes 2012, and it's a little calmer, but South Florida – played in and won twice. LaSalle won three games in 2013, Tennessee three in 2014, Dayton two in 2015, Wichita State two in 2016, UCLA two in 2017, Syracuse won three times in 2018. So what the hell's wrong with all these six seeds? I think the problem is that the, the battle-hardened winner of a, of a play-in game is just at an advantage against a six seed that, you know, kind of was good, but not so great. So, Uh, I think this hasn't worked out. And here we are. We're still at a dumb 68 team. It's better than 65, maybe. uh, But how about 80? I don't know. But you know what? It's March Madness. Bracket Madness isn't going away in spite of these imperfections. And I'm glad for that, especially after we missed out on 2020. So with that, finally, until next time, gamble on.